Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. crazy, 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 crazy. Great. What? Great parade. Give me round thoughts to my band, Sexual Chocolate. Please. What? One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. It was like his dip just. Baby, please. Please. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Yo. You got the juice now, man. The double truth. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. I am very, very, very excited for this episode. We are talking about a film that I consider to be pretty perfect. It is so good. It's a little hidden gem for some of y'all in the audience. And I have a guest today. Today, I will be talking with Kai Thomas, who is an amazing, wonderful filmmaker. She won the New York Short Film Jury Award this year at Newfest for her amazing short doc, Queenie. Welcome to the show, Kai. How you doing? Hey, hey, hey. Thank you so much for having me, Desmond. It's been really cool to, like, get to know you from having Queenie play at Newfest and you inviting me here. And I just love your IG so much, like how <laughs> much you just like share films and like you've really given me stuff to watch. Um, and I also think like the Photoshop stuff that you do to promote the podcast is just hilarious. So I'm oh very excited for uh, what the Photoshop situation will be for this. Yes, that's something I meant to tell you before we recorded. I was like, so I may at some point hit you up for a photo that yeah. we need to use for this, but I'm so thrilled. And in terms of your filmmaking, uh, tell the audience a little bit about like what you like to explore in your films and who inspires you. Yeah, for sure. So I'm usually a documentary filmmaker and I love exploring stories that are about black youth and black elders because I don't think we see enough of that type of representation. Um, as a black lesbian, love seeing the gay shit, love yes. all of that. Um, I think, for instance, in Making Queenie, I did that film because I was thinking about like how I would age right, as a black lesbian and wanted to be in community and make a film about someone who was an elder. And then in terms of being a youth, I think a lot, and we'll talk about this with Pariahs, that like... I wish so much for the younger version of myself who is like totally. so scared, you know, and like what it now means to be like really affirmed in my identity and really comfortable. Um, and just like seeing black kids be black kids. I don't think we yes. see enough of that. Um, the next film that I have coming out is premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival and it's called Change the Name. And it follows a group of young folks from Chicago who actively organized to get a park renamed. And it was really cool just to be hanging around 10 to 13 year olds and just yes. like the excitement that they have about life. Um, so that's that's kind of the stories that I'm interested in telling. Oh, that's so exciting. Now that you mentioned it, I remember you talking about that in the panel that we did for New Fest. Yes. So, so excited to see that. And in terms of intergenerational narratives as queer people, like, 
having these older queer mentors can be so impactful for us and, you know, hoping to be that as I age and get older, you know, I'm out here rocking 30 and I'm like, (laughs) all right, you know, these like 19 year olds, these like young 20s, like, let's have a chat. Like, how are you feeling? Like, you know, what are the things that you need and everything like that? And that's so important. Like I was with Yvonne Wilbon this morning, who has just been so huge in terms of my development as a filmmaker. She's a black lesbian. Um, She actually did a documentary called Sisters in Cinema that follows like black women directors. Like she, her journey to becoming a filmmaker was like when she was an undergrad, someone told her like, there aren't any black women directors. And it's like, well, you know, there's Julie, dash there's all these other people and she like hit them up and like this is pre-internet and was like able to interview julie dash and like jenna prince bythewood like all these phenomenal people um so like yvonne definitely is like black lesbian legend in terms of like documentary filmmaking Um, and the folks listening should definitely look her up and check her out that's incredible yeah i that is always a a conversation that we have on the show often is these amazing black female filmmakers from like the 80s and the 90s and kind of like what the trajectory of their career has been after making these incredible films. I mean, you think of like Daughters of the Dust and like Just Another Girl on the IRT and kind of working to figure out how the Hollywood system just did not support them after making incredible films. And then you see on the opposite end, these white dudes making trash films. And they're just like, oh yeah, here's like a hundred million dollars to just like do whatever you want with. And it's- Yeah, it's like black people definitely have to have a self-determined method as yes. you like start your career out before you really have, you know, dollars to make stuff work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then support each other in this community. Like I had um, Elegance and Chester on and talking to them about this great uh, family of NYU filmmakers that they put together with like Blanche and Terrence. And you're NYU too, right? No, I did. I went to Boston College, not an oh. NYU person at all. I did not have like a traditional film school training or anything like that. And I think that's been one of the most upsetting things as like an older person now, like in my late 20s of coming to understand like who all the black filmmaker legends are. Like in my filmmaking program, like we were not watching black films outside of Spike Lee. Like there, yeah. there's more than that. There's more um, than that, yeah. Like as an adult learning about like William Greaves and, mm-hmm. you know, all these other folks as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm so excited to get into this movie. Greetings from Fort Greene, Brooklyn. This week's episode is called Adventures in Acceptance and Adolescence, and we are going to be talking about Pariah. But first, y'all know I have a guest, (laughs) and y'all know what that means. That means we are about to play a game of Who's Invited. So, if it is your first time listening to an episode in which I have a guest and have not heard this game played before, Who's Invited is a game that I play 
in which I will run down a list of black films directed by white people, and it is up to my guest, Kai, to decide if a film that I have just said gets invited to the cookout or not. And this is to say, does this film actually get accepted into the hearts of black folks? Do we actually consider this to be a black film? And we don't play this to give white people a pat on the back for doing the bare minimum of making a good film that has black people in it. We do this to really investigate the white gaze on black folks in their filmmaking and how that reflects on how other people see us and then therefore how we see ourselves. So the rules of the game are, as I say a title of a film, Kai, you must either say yes sir if you think the film is invited to the cookout or by Felicia if you think the film is not invited. You shall not pass on any of these films. If you haven't seen it, you just gotta go on your gut or what you've heard. Do you need to do a practice round first or are you good to go? I think I'm good to go. Let's let's yes, see how this. Yes, yes. All right, let me get my list. Let me start my timer. Sweet, and... Foxy Brown. Um, yes, sir. The Fits. By Felicia. I'm gonna get a lot of. I'm gonna get a lot of <laughs> bad ones on that. I, yeah, I'm. I'm the next film. Next film. Uh, Fast Color. Mm, by Felicia. Above the Rim. Yes, sir. Paris is burning. Desmond, you know ethics and all of these things. Yeah, uh, I know. I've, it's like, am I just talking about the film or knowing all the politics of how the film was made? Ooh, I think <sighs> that's that's really hard. That's really that hard. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do a by Felicia because I think it's so sad that none of those folks still exist in the world and like that the is politics. Real? of how that film was made I think not enough people talk about it like yes we love it like representation is not enough and if it was then I would be like okay you're invited to the cookout but like how that film came to be in the relationship that the director didn't end up being able to continue with those folks I think is a is a really important conversation to have yes amen agreed agreed in the heat of the night uh by Felicia Hotel Rwanda Yes, sir. The last black man in San Francisco. This is hard as a filmmaker that knows the politics of all of these films. Yeah, it's um, tough. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It's a, it's a by Felicia. I love <laughs> the film, but I know too much. Yep, yep. And last but not least, coming to America. Yes, sir. Word, word. Yeah, I mean it's a. Always an interesting conversation to have because I think as Maori said, you know, she brought up a really good point about the majority of films being made by white people. And I think Elegance and Chester made a really good point about, you know, why are there so many black films directed by white people? Black people don't really make films about white people. And it's like... And it's not even just the directors too. It's like who the writers are of the project. Yes, because the I think about yeah. 
last black men in San Francisco in particular, it's like that's based on that young man's life. And like yes. he got a, a story by a credit, story and, by credit. And, and not a written by. And like, that's this. I agree. You know, I agree. You know, that's like, a, that's a big thing. And seeing that film, too, it's like there are so many ways that could have been approached. Right. Like he really could have written the script, had more creative input into it and like if you need your white friend to be part of it for any reason mm-hmm. let him be a producer yeah. get a black director like there's so many levels I mean that film really did give us a lot of um, exposure for Jonathan Majors which I'm yeah. really happy about and uh, Tishina Arnold is oh phenomenal and phenomenal. Donald in there yes yes but yeah. it's like but I also just think about like the name that I remember from the film is like Joe, the guy who like yeah. directed and write it. But it's like the young black man who was the lead. I like wish I remembered his name, but I Same. don't because that's I not don't. the name that was like pushed with like exactly. the marketing rollout and all the stuff. Like exactly. I actually remember uh, Miriam Bell, who's phenomenal, um, wrote a really impactful review about that film when it came out at Sundance and like the conversation that this you know, game is talking about is like what makes something a black film. Yeah. And I think to me, you need your lead creatives to also be black people. It's not just like black folks who are on the screen. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. 100%. And I didn't know that that film, because I was at Sundance that year and I had seen, you know, that on the listing and everything. And I was like, oh, sounds interesting. Sounds great. And then my friend Shay was there for the award ceremony and mm-hmm. he won the directing award. Mm-hmm. And she was like, the man that just walked up on this stage is white. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it's so interesting that in the same year that they give um, Chinoye the oh, for jury Clemency. award for oh, Clemency. So phenomenal. Great, great movie. I saw the Q&A with her and I was like, I want to be your best friend. Like she yeah. is incredible. That film is incredible and so slept on. And to see how... <clears throat> He won the directing award the same year that she won the grand jury award for that film. And then which film like ended up being further out in the zeitgeist? Like which film gets talked about yeah. more? And it's like And it's like Alfrey is Alfrey. Like what? Yes. <laughs> like Yes. Does not play any games. You know, it's always no been like a aspiration in life and it's like if filmmaking returns in a certain way in the outside world and I do believe in like the power of saying things out loud is like mm-hmm. I'm sure you know like Alfre has like that um big brunch that she throws like the Oscar weekend where it's yes. like invite only it's like oof that's something that I've always wanted to experience or like oh. the essence black woman in Hollywood situation mm-hmm. um so like the black cinema spaces definitely are few but they're very powerful very powerful Um, but yeah clemency great film i remember watching it afterwards and was just like they were so meticulous and intentional about every single frame like you can tell that like you know she had been working on that film for a while Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so good so good i'm excited to talk about that film on the podcast one day because i want more people to watch that film it is so good I'm pretty sure the same person that shot Clemency, um, this guy named Eric, also shot Rada Blanks, um, the 40-year-old version. Oh, um, well, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, yeah. he's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of Sundance, let's get into Pariah. You are here for one reason. One reason only. 
Yes. yes. So Pariah was released in 2011. It was directed by Dee Reese. It is celebrating its 10-year anniversary, which is amazing. And a little summary of the film, if some of you on the audience don't know about it. This film tells the story of Alike, who is also nicknamed Lee, played by Adapero Aduye, who is a teenager living a double life while coming to terms with her sexuality. She goes out with her friend named Laura, played excellently by Pernell Walker, at night to lesbian clubs and to the piers, living the life that she always wants to live, and then comes home to her family led by her religious and domineering mother, played again, excellently by Kim Waynes, and Lee has to hide who she really is. This film also stars Charles Parnell, Asha Davis, and Sara Malesi. So first, let's talk about these performances because they are all excellent. They're also lived in and natural. Um, I think from the very first conversation that Laura and Lee have, you're just like, oh, I'm here. I'm dropped in. I understand this friendship. I get this dynamic. They seem like they have been homies, A1s from day one. It's just beautiful, beautiful work in terms of writing the script to have these actors give such natural performances. And these relationships are just chef's kiss perfect no it definitely is one of the greatest films made like this film is canon for me yes Um, amen and i don't think it's celebrated enough like i think it's phenomenal um i think the academy did like a series of programming and it was really cool to hear them all talk about their experiences working together and d was like she made them do like fake therapy together as the characters and i was like wow and i was like okay like you just throw questions at them and see how they respond to it like as a group like a family session and i was like that's really interesting um and at apparel when she was telling that story talked about how like right writers like the lines can be there but if you're not lived in the care in the character and don't understand like how that character would respond to like different situations that aren't on the page yes. you don't really know that character exactly and i was like you know d really trained them for these roles and it's it just a beautiful beautiful film beautiful 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 And I love hearing about things like that because I usually work in narrative film when I do work. And I love doing acting exercises like that with the cast and like finding the best ways to make them all comfortable with each other, comfortable with the whole situation that's happening because that's how you're gonna get the best work. That's how you're gonna get the most natural work. That's how you're gonna get the most lived in work. And that's so real. I mean, you do need to know what's happening with these characters in other situations before the film, after the film, between the events of the film. It's Mm -hmm. very, very important. And you really get that in this movie. Even the sibling relationship is just like, so real it's so tight the relationship that she has with her mom versus her dad feels very real um and the relationship that the parents have with each other other? it's like my man out here in the kitchen taking cell phone class uh cell phone calls throwing food in the in the trash can you know shorty done you know worked all day on this excited to sit at the table he's like nah i'm good Nah, i i i definitely did think about that today like the foil of you know charles parnell's character clearly having some fidelity issues Mm -hmm. um and like the foil of like 
you know, um, Alike coming into her own idea of like yes. sexuality and presentation. Yes. Um, but I also, I think one of the great things about the film is like how it opens. It's like, all you ladies, ladies pop, pop your, your pussy, pussy like, yes. like Shake your body, don't stop, don't miss. All you ladies pop your pussy like this. Shake your body, don't stop, don't miss. Just do it, do it. Do it, do it, do it now. Lick it good. Suck this pussy just like you should. Right now, lick it good. Suck this pussy just like you should. My neck, my back, lick my pussy and my He said, We're coming in strong with the music. You know where you are. Like, this is gay as hell. Like, this is what it is. Um, and that yeah. amazing shot that Bradford does where Alika is like upside down and like mm-hmm. she and you just see her face, her expression of just like, wow. What like is this place? This. Yeah. Yes. Whatever this is, this is it. Oh, so good. And did you see this film in theaters by chance? No. I haven't either. That's been like on my list. Like I remember I was in college and when I was first like coming to be like okay like I'm really interested in film like started you know googled the internet and was like oh pariah let me check this out and like Mm -hmm. I've only seen it on dvd like on a computer but I'm like what would it be like to see it um you know in a a theater like that and love and basketball are probably like the two films Uh, that I'm like dang I'm you know the age thing of being like I wish I was yes same. I've only seen Pariah on my small ass TV over here. You can see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I definitely like I have this idea of doing a program and nobody fucking steal this. OK, no one steal this. <laughs> um, I want to do this program of films that were queer films that are made in the 2010s that mm-hmm. I think should be canon, like the more popular films like Moonlight, yeah. uh, like, you know, Call Me By Your Name and like mm-hmm. The Favorite and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Pariah is definitely part of that. Um, what else is part of that? Rafiki is part of that. Mm. Uh, we the Animals is part of that. Mm. Just like We the Animals, so beautiful. So beautiful. I've only cried in a theater a couple times, but when, um, you know, everything is revealed, which happening with that boy at the end, and they find his drawings, and like the father just has to like hold him because he's so just feeling so many things. Yeah, yeah. I was like crying. I don't know if you've seen, they definitely have BTS some, up somewhere of like the, the the reads that the young boys did and like that film they worked on for many years and it's mm-hmm. just like so cute and adorable. Oh, um, so good. But yeah, we, we need to do a pariah at the movie theater somewhere in Brooklyn. Maybe it's Absolutely. like, all right. Yeah. Absolutely. I really, really want to do that. And so what was your first experience seeing the film? I was just like, whoa, this is a lot going on. I think in college, I, I felt like I was the only like black lesbian on my campus. Like I wasn't in like community with other black folks who were gay, which really sucked. Yeah, um, same and actually, so, yeah. Damn. And so I think for me, it was like really interesting to see her relationship with Laura because it seems like Alike had like a, you know, a guide to mm-hmm. being like, okay, this is, this is how you're supposed to be gay, right? This is the way you're supposed to present. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things about your gender identity and like expression through clothes and all of this stuff. Um, and I definitely just remember being like, wait, where's the director's commentary? What? There is yes. none. What? God. Yeah. <laughs> and even when they announced the criterion, 
um, situation. I was like looking to see if they were going to do a director's commentary, and they did, and I was like, dang. Damn. Um, that's something I still I still hope for. So if I ever see D again, I'll be like, yo, we, we really got to get you to just like live track your thoughts as yes. you watch the film. Oh, I would um, love that so much. But I think I was just floored by Kim Wayne's portrayal of just being like, Oh, you're giving us drama, baby. Like, yes. everybody think you a kiki, ha, 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 but you, mm-hmm. you turned it on for this one. Um, and it's just been really wild to me that she's never had, like, another drama role, like, Agreed. in that capacity. Agreed. If this was a white woman, she would have been, like, taken, you know, eaten up. Like, she would have been booking. Uh, but it's just so phenomenal. And I think a lot, also one of the really great things that Dee does in the film is a relationship that Alike also has with her teacher as sort of yes. like bookends in the film of <sighs> like, okay, let me read your poetry and your teacher's like, mm, that's not really where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, wow, this isn't going to be like a perfect relationship that she yeah. has with the educator. And I think, you know, a lot of coming of age films really uses that like motif of like, you know, I'm going to go eat lunch in like my favorite teacher's office Mm -hmm. um, and really did an amazing and excellent job with that. I think that was one of my favorite scenes. Um, Also, I think one of the most important scenes is when... um, the like butch woman walks into the the space that her dad is at like hanging out with the boys and it's like oh how are you gonna interact when other people are talking about gayness like nigga we know in the back of the mind you know your child gay like are you gonna say something or like i think how we talk about queerness in groups as black community is something that's like really really important right very important um yeah, because it, it is, because it's like, I'm not going to sit in a group and, and, and hear someone say X, Y, Z things and not have a retort to it. Absolutely. And I think that was a really painful moment for him as a father, because you know, like, these people that you're boys with, allegedly, are clearly not um, in agreement with, quote unquote, the lifestyle that your child is living. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just got to sit through it, because he wasn't at a place in his journey of accepting his daughter to be like, hey, not with it. You know what I'm exactly, saying? Exactly, exactly. And I think, yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. Those, and that, those are probably two of my favorite scenes. Absolutely. And in speaking of those two scenes, I love that Alike is presented as someone who's very smart and very about her education, but she's not like a loser. Mm-hmm. Because I think in a lot of films, period, the smart person can be portrayed as a loser. And I think especially in a lot of like things we're talking about black smart people, they're either just like super geeky, super nerdy, or they get bullied for being smart. And she's just mm-hmm. like, I'm just about doing this and expressing myself in this way and just being like an A1 student, and I love that. I love portraying intelligence without a but to Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's like, she's intelligent, period. She's an artist, she does her thing, and she's very good at it. And I do love that you were saying about the bookend of her journey of self-acceptance as well. Her poetry being like, I? And then that last poem is just like, beautiful. Heartbreak opens onto the sunrise. For even breaking is opening. And I am broken. I am open. Broken to the new light without pushing in. Open to the possibilities within pushing out. 
See the love shine in through my cracks? See the light shine out through me? I am broken. I am open. I am broken open. See the love light shining through me, shining through my cracks, through the gaps. My spirit takes journey, my spirit takes flight. Just better fucking call, man. Could not have risen otherwise, and I am not running. I am choosing. Running is not a choice from the breaking. Breaking is freeing. Broken is freedom. I am not broken. I'm free. She's come to a place where she has accepted herself and accepted her journey, and she's made a choice. And I fucking love that. That is beautiful. And in the scene at the liquor store, I love that the woman has the power at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I think when you're watching that scene at first, you're just like, oh my God, how is this gonna go? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so concerned for her and her safety and everything like that. She comes out on top. She's like, ask your wife. Ask your wife. So good. Now I'm just going through in my head all my other favorite scenes. Because I think I probably rewatched a little bit of it a few weeks ago. It's Mm -hmm. like, I love the scene in the high school because it definitely feels real, right? Of like, when you look visibly queer and there's like a group of, you know, women and like you can overhear them being like, you know, if I was gay, you would be the one. Yeah, she's cute. (laughs) Alike is having her first experience of that. And it's like, smile is from ear to ear. Like, oh yeah, like people are finally responding to me and like being able to read me as gay when I walk into a room. Yeah. Um, so I think that scene is really, really important too. I love that. I love that. And it's like the even the way that that shot too, you know, you just see like a little glimpse of her shoulder like looking mm-hmm. over and like smiling and listening. And you're right, that conversation feels so real. What does that woman say? She says, um, it would be her. It's like, if it's anybody, it would be Alike. Um, and she says something about the, the boys and girls line. She's like... Oh, about like, probably something about like studs, fems, and like AGs. I think that's yeah, what it yeah, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. And there are some, speaking of, you know, the shots and everything, there are some fun facts about this movie. Um, this film was awarded the Dramatic Cinematography Award. Bradford Young, great, wonderful cinematographer. One of, I think there's maybe like two or three black cinematographers nominated for an Oscar. He was nominated for Arrival. Um, And this film was nominated and won many awards, Black Reel Awards, Image Awards. Um, I believe Ada Pera was nominated for a Independent Spirit Award. The whole cast uh, was nominated for things. Kim Waynes won a couple of awards here and there. And second fun fact, this film was executive produced by Spike Lee. And Spike has done some really good executive producing, specifically on films that were directed by black women. Another film that comes to mind is, of course, Love and Basketball. Mm -hmm. And I do love that he has uh, done that over the years and really used his platform as a prolific black filmmaker to really put people on, which, and they're great films. They're great, beautiful, canon films. Yep. Um, And third fun fact, 
This film is joining the Criterion Collection, which oh is so, God. so beyond exciting. I've talked about this on the show a few times, audience. The Criterion Collection is basically like the National Registry of Film. This is like the films that are canonized and considered to be the best films that exist, the best uh, boundary-pushing films in some way. Um, and this is slated for a January 29th release, and Dee Reese is the first queer woman of color to have a film join the Criterion Collection, and that is so incredibly exciting. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm so excited. So let's get into these themes of acceptance and adolescence. So the theme of acceptance is very strong here. You know, self-acceptance as well as acceptance from your family and acceptance from your community. Does anything in this film remind you of your own personal journey to self-acceptance and family acceptance? Mm, Well, I did not grow up in a two-parent household. I grew Mm. up with my mother um, and my brothers. And I think everyone's family reacts differently. Totally. I think for my family, like, it's still, like, it depends. Like, I don't want to be on some blanket statement that folks are like, you know, black folks have more stigma about, like, queer children, right? Like, I think about Zia Wade and her having, like, Gabrielle and Dwayne as parents and, like, the advocacy work they've done for her. Yes. Um, so, and, like, right, also, I think wealth is a part of that, right? And, like, True. access. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, Dwayne is in a situation where he could probably hire someone to, like, help him to understand his daughter in a better mm-hmm. way than, like my mom could have been in a position to. Right. Um, so I think for me, um, my family was kind of just like, in the same way, like we were talking a little bit earlier before this about like the Thanksgiving episode of being like, yo, now you like you black, you a woman and you gay. Like, God damn, nigga. Yeah. Like you yeah. have yeah. a lot of shit like going yeah. on. Like a lot of people, um, like life is going to be harder for you. Yes. And like your family doesn't, doesn't want that. Right. And I think, for me, as I got older, I had to separate like my own individual journey of understanding myself from my families. Totally. And like I think I came out or like understood who I was um, in let's see, whenever the Beyonce self-titled album came out, I like had a conversation with my family because my mom said something about Frank Ocean. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to do that no more. No, no, Um, no. (laughs) No, no, no. And so I think moms are hard. Like, it's like... I was talking, one of my um, black lesbian friends came over yesterday and I was like, I actually really am interested in doing a documentary about like the relationship like black studs like have in particular, like with their mothers. Cause it's really hard. Cause it's like, I think as a black woman parent, like this older generation, like, you know, you want to see your child in a white dress. Like that's possible for some lesbians, but that's not me. You know, this Mm -hmm. is somebody who's out here in suits and like dicky pants and t-shirts and sweaters most of the time. Um, so I think it can be difficult for moms. Like they just don't want you to have a harder life. And I think that's the situation that Kim Wayans is talking about. She's like, I want you to go to church. Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to have black girlfriends. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously there is no point in that film where she's questioning her child's academic excellence and like her charisma of how she exists in the world. Like everything is singularly about like, what are you going to prom? What are Mm -hmm. you going to wear? And I think Mm -hmm. for me, it was similar. Like, you know, my mom never questioned like the talent and, you know, the educational 
um, like how I was excelling in school, like at all. But it was like, yo, like this one piece, what do you like, you know? Yep. And then yep. it's like when your parents don't understand it, they're put in an awkward situation because it's like other people talking shit. But like they agree with the shit, but it's like because you're their kid, they don't want other people talking shit. So I think that was like a weird time for my mom for sure. And I think. I try to speak mostly about like my own experiences totally. and like her journey was like her journey. And I think like we've come to be in a better place, which I'm definitely like grateful for, but it's hard. Like, it's especially hard. if like older parents feel like they're not around black queer people. It's like, no, you know, some folks, they just ain't telling you. you. Exactly. Like, oh, you know, some folks, you know, some folks. For and real. I just think, you know, as we were talking about like this theme of adolescence, like how important it is for young queer folks to see imagery of yes. black queer people happy and loving yes. relationships like yes. um my friend jamal jordan who used to work at the new york times just released a photo book called queer love and color and it's a whole photo book of you know queer couples together That's and it's amazing. like how what what would a, what that have done for my life and me understanding myself if i would have had that in my library right Absolutely. um or if i just would have seen like it wasn't registering to me and i think i didn't come into myself until like college and I definitely unfortunately was probably one of those kids in middle school and high school who was like making fun of the gay teacher like you mm. just you fit like mm-hmm. everybody else doing it like I don't think I gave much thought to it like I Absolutely. think the world was in a different place when I was in middle school and high school there wasn't all this like you know pride yes this that like that, that I think that really has happened in like 2010 like yes. from then on I think yes. the acceptance has shifted and like what we need as queer people has shifted. Like, yes. I think about, I know this is not more much about the movie, but like how a lot of folks were like, you know, gay marriage, this and that's like, nah, people just want to be able to walk in their body comfortably. Yes. Like, I think for me, and that's like, that's what Alike wants too, right? Like, Absolutely. what would it mean if she didn't have to go change in the bathroom? Like if right. she could leave her house and talk about it or like, you know, there's a scene in the film where she's trying on strap-ons and then her sister walks in. What would it mean for her to be in a household where, like, okay, her sister, like, seems, like, you know, probably eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever, where it would have mm. been like, oh, my sister walked in, like, that's cool. Let's have a conversation exactly, about that, right? Exactly, And, like, that's what I desire for us because I think so much shame, unfortunately, exists around being, like, black and queer as 100%. a young person. And, like what futures we can imagine when like we eliminate that shame right and like a lot of folks were talking shit about Lil Nas X this and that for like the call me by your name stuff but I'm like I'm happy for the youngin like like, let let the boy live um, and just like let people be happy black and gay that's what it comes to at the end of the day and just like I think there has to be more resources for parents who truly feel like they don't understand what's going on. Like, Agreed. think about that of like Alike's mom's character is a whole ass nurse. And like you are working in a field that is like interacting with like gay folks and like yes. what that means that like, OK, if you can't interact with your own daughter about this, how are you interacting with gay patients? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And like the decisions we as gay people have to make, like. All of my doctors, like how I find people have been through like, you know, gay clinics or like mm-hmm. folks that specialize in serving because it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to be in a position where like someone understands me. Yeah. Therapists. Um, yeah. All of that. All yeah, of that. All of that. What, what do you feel like you see yourself in the film? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, my mom is definitely not as 
Oh, I wouldn't even say as religious as uh, Kim Wayne's character because it's not like she's out here quoting Bible verses or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of the the domineering side of her that is not the same as my mom. But my mom is definitely very religious, um, church going and everything like that. And I think, especially in my adolescence, she did not understand and didn't have a problem with gay people per se, but at the same time, like, was kind of going along with the thought of the church and that, like, you know, Mm. accept and love uh, everybody and other people, but, like, it's not going to be the same for you in a lot of ways um, in terms of your redemption, et cetera, and everything (laughs) like that. But I think also there were some things that she did because she didn't know because I didn't really come out until I was in like late high school, early college. So there were some things that she did because she didn't know, not out of like anything malicious. I think it was like, again, not having the resources of knowing like what to do, how to raise a gay black child, because it's like, like you were saying, it's like levels. There are Mm -hmm. so many levels. And I think a lot of times parents are just saying to themselves, oh, my God, your life is already going to be hard. It's going to be so much harder. What can I do to protect you and everything like that? And sometimes that comes off as not good, damaging things that can lead to um, pushing back our own self-acceptance. Because when you're growing up as a child, you know, really the major thing you want to do is be accepted, Mm -hmm. you know, by your family, by your friends, by your community, because that really reflects back on how much you accept yourself. And yeah, so I definitely see a lot of myself in this film. And I also see a lot of myself in this film when she is dealing with, um, what's it? Bina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she's dealing with Bina, Because I have had so many experiences where I have felt or been confirmed as someone's experiment, Mm -hmm. as um, someone who just wants to, like, try it out. In college, I was hooking up with this dude, this white dude, who basically, after us hooking up for a while, was like, oh, I'm not interested in dating you. I'm just interested in seeing what it's like to be with a black guy. And I was oh, like, that specifically. Ooh, mm-hmm. not like not like I'm interested in seeing what it's like being mm-hmm. with men. I mean, I've had that as well. And that You've had the race experiment. Yes. Lord, yes. Yes. I got to lay hands on you virtually. Oh, Don't you. ever let it happen again. Thank Lord, you. that Terrible. is wild. I also Terrible. think sometimes like, I don't know. I think sometimes the language of experimentation doesn't feel that great to hear because I think like sometimes people truly are figuring figuring mm-hmm. things out, mm-hmm. right? And like I think particularly about like a lot of bisexual women that I've known yeah. of like people always questioning their existence and their place and I think that's kind of what Bina is in in the film is like right she's trying to understand her place too and like Alike's journey isn't considered more real because like uh, um she's like you know being mask and butch and like there's a clothing change right mm-hmm. like there's a physical change where like with Bina's character you know she's softer uh but that doesn't I I mean I think when I probably watched the film for the first time in college I may have been like fuck Bina da, 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 da. but I'm like 
you know what? I I I understand it, and I also understand like right alika's point of view too where she probably was putting a lot on vina like Mm -hmm. this is my first everything like you know she doesn't imagine them being together forever you hold all of that yeah um so i think that's the other hard thing of like when you're a black gay teenager or child and like you're not in a position to have conversations with your parents it's like okay not that Alike's parents are in a healthy relationship, but like you can't right. even go to your parents to be like, yo, I'm feeling this shorty. Like, right. can you give me some advice? Like, yeah, I, I think I think about that for myself a little bit sometimes of what, what it would have been like to be in a place to like go to my mom frequently to be like, hey, this is what's going on like romantically in my life. How do you totally. think I should interact with this? Totally. And at that point, too, she feels like she can't go to Laura because Laura is dealing with her own feelings about mm-hmm. Alike and also dealing with her own issues with her mother and everything like that. And I do have to say, a small detail in this film about Laura uh, working to get her GED. The GED is not an easy test. It is a very difficult test. I am currently, I have been tutoring a woman to get her GED. Mm. It is not easy. So when she goes to her mom's house and tells her that she passed the GED and that her and her sister are doing well, I think that's also a very impactful scene because you do see these two young black women who are moving forward, like literally Mm. against all of these odds that are against them. And... I just think that's so beautiful and so important and that Laura's plot doesn't feel like a B plot. You know what I mean? Mm -mm. It feels very, very important, very strong. And yeah, I wish I had I think what's really interesting about Laura is like, right, Laura's not having the identity struggle Mm -hmm. issues that Alike has. Like, Laura's having real life struggles. It's like, can we pay the rent? Can we pay the bills? Yes. Let's let's talk about, like, you know, the difficulty that exists in being, like, a queer person of color. Like, what type of job does Laura have? Like, right, we see that scene where she goes down. It's like, oh, clearly she is working at a restaurant or a Mm -hmm. bodega situation. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's a result of her education level, like all these other things. Um, and also just like I when I rewatched it recently, like how she let folks at the club who didn't have a home go to come stay on the couch. Like, yes. I, I think like that didn't read to me when I first watched it years ago. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, like Laura was out here being the haven for folks like Laura didn't have to become friends with Alike. Clearly, there is probably at least a three to four year difference between yes. them. Right. Yes. And like she's being the big homie and like helping this person like come and realize who they are yeah um it it is really really powerful that's so great and how has this film impacted you as a queer filmmaker Ooh, I think I try to get everyone to watch it all the time. Like, I think it's one of those movies when I meet people, I'm like, okay, have you seen Moonlight? Have you seen Pariah? Mm -hmm. Um, And like Moonlight, like, yes, because it's a gay film, but also like that's the same neighborhood that I grew up in Miami. So it it means a a lot to me. Yeah. Um, So it always just is just like super important. Um, Yeah, it's like. I think personal films are amazing. Like Dee has talked a lot in like panels about like how she felt that, you know, people didn't get it. And then like at the end of the day, there was like a white, you know, person in a position of power who told her like, listen, this is just about like a person who's trying to score the girl, like at the end of the day. And like, that is something that is universal. And that when that person told Dee that it really helped her in terms of just like being able to like conceptualize the film. 
because uh, I think there's so there's universal universality and the specificity of lived yes. experiences, right? Yes, 100%. Um, and I think a lot of folks, a lot of queer folks, feel like they're just like a lot of coming out films, but I don't think there's a coming out film like this one, right? I agree. I think there definitely, I desire a shift away from coming out stuff. Like I want to see gay people in their lived experience. Like I would love for D to do like a trilogy, right? Like, you know, you see Alike in this moment here, like as um, a young person about to go to college, like what does it mean? Like, I want to see what Alike is like as a lived adult, like in her mid thirties, does she have a wife? Is she out here with, I feel like she, might have be like a poly person like yes. is that what's going on in her life like Ugh. is she a working poet like what that situation is or like anything like i just want to see soon and like hopefully from d um a film of like a black lesbian black queer folks just like out in the world and not yes. explaining their existence right because like i don't Absolutely. talk about being gay every fucking day like exactly <laughs> like no um, there's more there's so there's much more. more there's so much more yeah yeah i mean i think a film like this really inspires me in terms of the stories that I want to tell because a lot of the stories I do want to tell are about us just living and the experiences that we go through that are not necessarily, of course, being gay is part of it, but it's not necessarily like about being Mm -hmm. queer. It's about our relationships. It's about kind of certain things that happen in our day to day and the very natural element of how this film was approached, I think is very, very inspirational. Um, You know, from the cinematography, from the writing standpoint, from the acting, just this kind of effortlessness that comes from this film. And the way that it is definitely a film with a lot of themes of hope in it. Mm -hmm. I do love that it ends with Alike saying, I'm not running, I'm choosing. Mm-hmm. When she says that, I'm always just like, <laughs> like tears, 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 tears. It's such a great statement to make because we do see a lot of coming out films where the person is running and it mm-hmm. is kind of like either we're getting coming out films or we're getting films about like trauma, mm-hmm. like the black trauma, queer trauma, but I love that this film does not go in either of those ways. She's on that bus. Yeah. She is smiling. She is looking toward her bright future and it's oh, it's so beautiful. It's been it's been a rough year for the gays as it relates to movies. Like the thing that's just like searing at the top of my mind is like happiest season. And I'm like, what the fuck would a black oh happiest season look like? Ha! Like Wow, wow, wow. This this my friend. Okay, sis. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. She an orphan. Yeah, uh, yeah. So silly. Well, in conclusion about this film, I think this film is fucking perfect. It is extremely well-crafted and makes the most out of every single element, even though it's a small independent film. And I was talking about Antebellum, and I was like, even the design is off. Like, there's no color schemes, like, mm. but that is so present here. The color schemes are even The blues, the, the purples, blues, like. Oh, the greens, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And there's not even a single moment wasted here. It's a very tight film. It's like around an hour and a half, very, very tight film. The performances carry so much depth and power. And as I was saying before, I love to see a film about a, acceptance of queerness and coming out that isn't rife with tragedy. Mm -hmm. We see that even though Lee and Laura struggle with their maternal relationships, that they free themselves from those environments and make their own empowered moves. 
This film, y'all, is now streaming on Netflix. And like I said last week, y'all all got it. Oh, yeah, cousin got it. So watch it on Netflix. And I'm so excited for this Criterion release that is coming soon. All my life I had to fight. The time has come for this week's You Better Act Award. Yes, yes, y'all. If you don't know about the You Better Act Award, this is an award that I give out every single week on the show to an actor who is just chewing up the screen, giving us life, giving us love through their craft. And I like to give these people more praise and attention because this is what they deserve. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drum roll please. Susan Kelechi Watson in This Is Us. So if you somehow don't know about This Is Us, This Is Us is a very popular show that airs on NBC. It's pretty much one of the only like really great shows that I think they have in my opinion. Susan has just been doing excellent, excellent, excellent work on this show for the past five seasons as Beth, who is married to Sterling K. Brown, who is also just uh, an excellent, excellent actor. And the first time I saw Susan Kelechi Watson, I saw her in the show Louie, which was created by Louis C.K., who we no longer discuss or talk about, who we have canceled for his actions. But she is always so excellent, so natural, so loving to her scene partners. She's an excellent sparring partner for any single one of the actors on This Is Us. And she's had a wonderful storyline this season with coming to terms and acceptance with our themes today, acceptance and adolescence, with her adolescent daughter named Alex. And she is coming to terms with her daughter Alex's sexuality coming out as a lesbian and dating a non-binary student who she goes to school with. It is such a wonderful storyline, so real, so touching. I loved it so much. And Susan also gets to work with Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad is her mother on the show, and she comes in as a special guest star every once in a while. And I love to see them work together as Howard University alums, HU, where my brother also went. And Susan went to school with Chadwick Boseman. So... I just love Susan so much, and the show is set to end after next season, which is set to air sometime in 2022, and I can't wait to see what she does after this. I want to see her in more starring roles, and I just can't wait to see what comes of Susan Kelechi Watson. So if you haven't watched This Is Us, again, it is available on Hulu. All five seasons so far are available to watch, so check it out. So in closing for today, some food for thought for the audience, what are some other black films that you think truly capture the feeling of growth in adolescence as a young black person? Are there any for you that you feel like really capture? Mm, I mean, this is a, it's not made by a black director, but I think a lot about the film George Washington. I haven't seen that. That's on my list. That's on my list. It's visually just like really, really beautiful landscapes. Mm. I think about that film a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, we definitely need more black 
you know, like I think that a lot of films are at the 16, 17, 18 range, but like what would it mean to do a film about like middle schoolers, right? Like I think the recent coming of age films that I've watched during the pandemic have been like mid nineties, which was definitely really interesting. Yes, that's Um, Seth Rogen, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we definitely need more of us um, in this genre for sure. Totally, totally. Like I feel like interestingly enough, Something that comes kind of close. It's a doc, uh, Minding the Gap. Oh, yeah, yeah, Made by Bing. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I said I don't cry often at films, but I was watching that on my TV on Hulu, and I was like, <laughs> ah! Like, wow, wow, it's wow. so, so good. Um, and for y'all out there, let us know what your thoughts are, comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Follow it on Spotify if that's how you listen. Thank you, per usual, to our team. We have Matt Mozzarella on audio. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. And we have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. And thank you, Kai, for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Big career moment for me today, just to talk to Desmond, (laughs) for sure. Yes. And um, is Queenie available to watch online to the public yet? Not yet. So if you're listening and you buy slash distribute films, uh, um, hit me up for sure. We're playing a few more festivals. Amazing. Um, and we'll kind of see what happens from there. Amazing. And this film is so good, y'all. I really can't say enough wonderful things about it. It is so amazing. You will absolutely fall in love with the subject of the documentary, Queenie. She is wonderful, 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 wonderful. And I'm so excited to see your film premiere at Tribeca. Thank you, Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm really excited for it. Can't wait. Big thanks. And next week on the podcast, it's our 40th episode, and we will be keeping it in Brooklyn, and we will be discussing Spike Lee's first film, She's Gotta Have It. So until then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. Bye, y'all.